The reading this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and how came another horse, bright red? Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with, with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Well, good morning, folks. You might think that these strange times that we live in are a bit crazy, but I wonder if you've ever been trapped in the body of a cat. No? I don't think so. But that's the premise for the film Nine Lives starring Kevin Spacey. In it, he plays Tom, a workaholic businessman who gets trapped in the body of his daughter's cat, Mr. Fuzzy Pants, with hilarious consequences ensuing. Now please don't judge me for having watched this film. It's so hard to find a film that all the family wants to watch these days. And it wasn't half as bad as you might think. As in it, Mr. Fuzzy Pants drives his family mad, trying to convince them of who he is. But after a while, he settles down and starts to look around from his new vantage point. And he discovers that his relationships with his wife, his daughter and his business associates are on really rocky ground. He would never have realised the danger that he, his life is in if he hadn't been forced to look at it from a totally different perspective. And folks, it has been said that what you see depends not only on what you look at, but also on where you look from. Which is why in these last few weeks of our online services, we've been digging into the book of Revelation. Because it give, this book gives us an opportunity to see what's going on in the world around us from a totally different perspective. As we go behind the scenes of human history to look at things from the spiritual realm. This book is a series of visions written by the Apostle John. And it's written in this weird kind of picture language. Because in it, we are reading about things in this heavenly realm that are almost beyond description. Which words alone cannot fully describe. And last week, this glimpse into the inner workings of the throne room of heaven uh, brought us this incredible scene of God the Father handing to God the Son the scroll of his plan for human history. Out of everybody in the world, only Jesus is worthy to open it up and to deal with whatever is in there. 
And so this week in Revelation 6, drum roll please, Jesus is going to open the scroll. But this is not like opening golden envelopes at the Oscars, uh, where it's all red carpets and champagne and diamond chandeliers. No, this is like opening a, a can of pop that has been shaken up too much or a dirty nappy. Things are about to get incredibly messy and sticky as the terrors that are unleashed when Jesus opens the first four seals reveal to us the fact that human history is full of tyranny and chaos. Jesus opens the first seal in verse 2 and it unleashes a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, at first glance, you might be tempted to think that's Jesus. And if you know the book of Revelation, then you'll know Jesus does actually appear on a white horse in Revelation 19. And white is, is often a symbol of purity in the Bible. But there is nothing pure about this rider. He may try and look like Jesus, but he is nothing like him. As he will take away your freedom. This horse represents conquest and imperialism. Then the second seal is opened. And out comes a bright red horse. Verse 4, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Now bright red often symbolises bloodshed. And boy, does this horse and rider create havoc and bloodshed wherever it goes as this rider takes away your peace it represents conflict and violence then the third seal it's opened and out comes a black horse and his rider verse 5 end of verse 5 had a pair of scales in his hands and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Folks, these are ludicrous. These are, these are rip-off prices that are being quoted here. It's like going to McDonald's and being quoted £40 for a Big Mac. And while the poor get a bad deal, as so often happens, the rich get away with it. Even in the devil times, they prosper and they insist on their luxuries of oil and wine. They will not live simply that others may simply live. This horse represents famine and economic injustice that so often follows it. As this horse takes away every sense of fair play that you might have. Then the fourth seal. It's opened and a pale, sickly looking horse comes out, verse 8, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him and they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. No need to decode this one, is there? I mean, he's named. It's Death. Death and Decay. This rider is very blunt. 
uh, folks don't pass away or kick the bucket. Uh, they're snuffed out in many and various ways. As this writer eventually, inevitably, will take away your life. Conquest, war, injustice, famine, illness, death. This is the view of our world from heaven's perspective. This world is broken. It is full of tyranny and chaos. And it's as if God is saying here, look, do you see? Do you see that this is really the way this world is? For many of us who have grown up in the affluent West over the last 40 or 50 years, we have lived through a period of unprecedented safety and peace in this part of the world. In fact, the development of our culture has been so sophisticated that I think it's airbrushed or or cosseted us from a full view of these realities. But the truth is that for most people, in most eras of human history, tyranny and chaos have trampled like two great boots right the way across the world with depressing regularity. And I think God is showing us this so that we won't be under any illusions that we can fix it. I mean, we're such fixers, aren't we? We think we can fix anything and everything. I mean, just jump on social media, turn on the radio, go down to your local pub, if it's open, that is, maybe soon. And you will hear and find all kinds of theories offered as surefire solutions to the problems of our world. And yet for all of our cleverness, for all of the advances that we have made in technology and education and science and medicine over the last century, these riders are still riding just as strongly today. We can hear their hoofbeats reverberating around the world, can't we? Dion Dublin, the ex-footballer turned TV presenter, talking about racism on Football Focus the weekend. He said this, we've got t-shirts again. I'm sick of t-shirts. I just want action. And we know how he feels, don't we? I mean, of course, I've got to love and serve my neighbour and speak out for truth and against injustice. But we know it's going to take a lot more than t-shirts and hashtags and slogans to solve the problems of this world. Which is why God wants us also to see here that Christ, not chaos, rules over human history. Have a closer look at these verses, will you? Do you see? There's nothing out of control. Jesus the Lamb is in total charge of what's happening. Verse 1. I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. This scroll is not Pandora's box. These riders, they don't escape, they are summoned. They can't enter the scene without the invitation to come. Each one of them, same command. They're sent forth with heaven's permission. 
Which of course begs the inevitable question, why? Why is Jesus letting all this happen? What's going on here reminds me of a time when Fiona and I were making breakfast a few years back on a Saturday morning, when all of a sudden we noticed drips coming down uh, through the ceiling. And as we watched, the drips got heavier until water was running down the wall. And we realised this must be coming from somewhere, and that somewhere must be the bathroom upstairs. So up the stairs we ran, we threw open the door, and this was the scene that greeted us. The taps of the sink were on full blast, and the sink was full of bath toys. So much so that uh, there was no space for water anymore. It's flowing over the edges onto the floor, flooding the floor. And there in the midst of it was a certain child dancing around merrily in their underpants as if they were Fred Astaire and singing in the rain. Now I have to say to this day I'm still really proud that we did not throttle said child on the spot. But we still couldn't help but shout out, what on earth are you playing at? And as we burst in to the throne room of heaven and and, and witness this scene as Jesus opens these seals, that's what we want to shout out, isn't it? What are you doing here, Jesus? It's all running out of control. Please stop opening these seals. But what's happening here is that Jesus is doing this deliberately. He's unleashing these riders like drips from the ceiling in order that we might see that there is a problem for us up above. And that problem is not God dancing around like a five-year-old out of control. But what is happening in heaven is that God is giving us over to the consequences of our sin. Romans 1 verse 28 gives us a further insight into the mind of God. There the writer says that since people do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Do you see what's happening here? We are getting what we deserve for the way that we've treated God. We think that we know better than him and we do not see fit to acknowledge him or obey him. And the Bible calls that sin. And astonishingly, God's judgment on our sin in the present is not to send down lightning bolts, but it is to let us do what we want. We, we, we want to shove him out of the picture and live as we please, doing things our way. And God says, well, okay, do it your way. Live in a world like that, with everybody doing as they please. And so when we see these riders ride, bringing conquest, conflict, famine, injustice and death, we shouldn't be asking, what is God playing at? But instead we should ask, What have we done? Every year, nine million people die from hunger-related diseases in this world. And yet, according to the United Nations, 
one third of all food produced for human consumption goes to waste. Why is that? There is more than enough to go around. And last year, humans killed 1,300 fellow human beings every day. And that number skyrockets if we were to choose to include the 40 million babies terminated by abortion worldwide. Where only about 1% was because there was an endangerment to the mother or child's life or rape was involved or some other crime. Now I know some of you live with the scars of that every day, having made that choice, having bought the lie that it would bring freedom. And I'm so sorry for that pain that you go through. But this is the way it is. This is what we do as humanity. And what about the way people of privilege and power, the, the conquesters of the with the white horse, how they so often grab the reins of leadership and use them to maintain the status quo, even if that involves enslaving others to their own ends. What God is showing us here is not that there is something wrong with him, but there is something deeply wrong with us as a race. God is so good, he gives us everything that is good. Everything that is good comes from him. But when we turn from him, when we move away from him, when we move away from goodness, we try to live in a world without God and God lets us, he gives us that freedom, but then we complain about a lack of justice. Or we're surprised by a lack of love in the world around us as people take advantage of us and, and fail us and hurt us. Well, of course the world is unjust and unloving. When we turn our backs on the one who is love, who is justice. And these writers, folks, they're, they're like a billboard for us, advertising the consequences of life without God. This in many ways seems like a godless world, doesn't it? But look again, Jesus not only gives these riders permission to ride, but any authority and power they have is given to them. Verse 2, the first rider, his crown is given to him. Verse 4, the bright red rider is permitted to take peace from the air. The third rider is told exactly what to say in verse 6. The fourth is given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill in verse 8. In other words, Jesus is still at work here. He, he's holding these riders on a leash by the reins, if you like. Holding them back so that we don't experience the full force of the consequences of our sin right now. We have not yet been given over fully to that. But in the meantime, God lets us experience some of the wickedness of this world as a foretaste of that coming judgment. 
You see, there is a day when Jesus will come back to wrap up history, not as a saviour, but as our judge. That's the sixth seal, which we're going to get to next week. But until that day of judgment, God is allowing us a taste of what that will be like as a warning. He is showing us these riders so that that we will say, I don't want that. I don't want to experience the full reality of a life lived without God forever. Because when Jesus finally lets go of the leash, we will be given over fully to the hellish reality of a world without him. A world without any goodness whatsoever. That's what hell is. A world without Jesus and his goodness. Now I've got to say, God does not delight in any of this. He says many times in the Bible, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to come in judgment. He wants us to turn to him instead. And so he permits the forces of destruction and and Satan to unleash, as it were, drips of judgment to come upon the earth so that it might look upwards and take him seriously before it's too late. In our pleasures, we are not good listeners, are we? But when we go through hardship and suffering, we cry out, as many have done in this pandemic. This week I read a paper written about the huge upsurge in, upsurge in Google searches for the word prayer since March. It was entitled, In Crisis We Pray. And one of the professors, uh, one of the writers, Professor Janet Sending Benzing, said, We humans have a tendency to use religion to cope with crisis. COVID-19 has proven no exception. The rise in prayer intensity supersedes what the world has seen for years. That's the right move, folks, isn't it? To turn to God in prayer. Not because he's the last resort in a crisis, but because he is good and he loves us and he can be trusted. And he still is in control, even in the chaos and the turmoil that we go through in our lives. Even if, like the book of Revelation, we're struggling to fully understand it all. Let me finish by illustrating this by using something I know virtually nothing about tapestry. I don't know if you've heard the story of Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian whose family sheltered Jews from the Nazis during the Second World War. Eventually, sadly, they were betrayed and uh, discovered and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp where they suffered unspeakable horrors, including the death of Corrie's dearly beloved sister, Betsy. Corey herself should have died, but for an administrative mix-up where she was released a week before her execution was due. But later on in life, as she reflected on the chaos and tyranny that she lived through at that time, she made this tapestry 
It's not the prettiest, is it? But that's what she lived through. A complete mess. But if you were to turn the tapestry over, on the other side, there is a crown. And the message is clear. Though in our life experience, and for her especially, it feels like chaos just reigns all the way through history. The four horsemen of, of the apocalypse just riding roughshod all over the earth. On the other side, there is a crown. As the lamb who was slain has begun to reign and he is working out his perfect golden rule. And so if this morning you are absolutely bent low and you just feel like you can't take any more of life and what you're going through, then please know that it's not because you're more sinful than anyone else. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that that is not the case elsewhere in the Bible. Instead, hear what Corey famously said. When you look at the world, you get distressed. When you look at yourself, you probably get depressed. But when you look at God, well then, then you find rest. The picture of your life may look really messy just now, incredibly messy. But one day when we get to heaven, we will see things fully and clearly. And we will see that Jesus has been weaving together a tapestry in your life, in mine, in the life of this world that is so, so beautiful. That we will be amazed. So amazed that we will fall flat on our faces. And worship him forever. Let's pray. Risen Lord Jesus, reigning in power. We see here in this passage a judgment which we already taste in the tears and tragedies of this life. And we see that it's only drips of the ocean of the judgment which one day will fully engulf the world. So we pray, Lord, that you would save us from that judgment. Help us to run to you and not from you. May we seek your protection in the blood of Jesus, in his loving arms, that we might be forgiven and spend our lives now and in eternity working with you and for you, worshipping you, rather than having to face you as judge when Christ returns. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Let's finish up our service by singing again.